Good morning, good morning. Uh, this morning, we're gonna continue in our series in Ephesians, uh, picking up in Ephesians uh, chapter four, verses 17 through 19, uh, where Jesus is really teaching us how he wants to change our minds, how he wants to change our minds. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to page 1779, or you can read along on the, uh, on the screens. Verses 17 through 21 of Ephesians 4. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Uh, one of the things that differs is how God thinks about human beings and our thinking patterns and what we give our hearts to compared to how we think about our thinking patterns and what we give our hearts to. Uh, the way we think about it, uh, when we recognize that there's any problems at all um, with what we focus on, with the things that we allow to come into our lives, if we think that there's any problem at all, we feel like the cleaning that we need is kind of like a spring cleaning, all right? It's springtime in your house and you gotta get out your Windex and do a little cleaning because things aren't terribly bad, you just gotta wipe this down, I, I, gotta, I gotta stop uh, cursing a little bit, maybe I gotta work a little harder, but all in all, I'm a good person, things are pretty good. And that's how the typical human kind of thinks about their, their mental state and, and then their affections. But God, when he looks at us outside of him, he looks at a, a need for an extreme makeover, right? Some of you will remember that ABC show from a few years back, where there'd be a needy family and with no money and a team would come in and over a couple of months, there'd be a total renovation and the house would be repaired and it, uh, the family could come in and, and relax. And when God looks at our, our hearts and he looks at our minds and when he, he, he thinks about the things that we do and, and how we train our, our, our mind, our mindset, he says, no, we don't need a spring cleaning. We need a total renovation. God wants us to change our mind. He wants us to change the way we think. Um, so in this particular verses, um, Paul sets out a really kind of stark picture of what our thinking is like outside of God. It's not, it's not super pretty. And, but uh, in, the, in the past here in the book of Ephesians, he's already laid out how loving and kind and gracious we can be uh, prior 
that, that God has given us that and we can live into that. But here is the first time, well, one of the early times when he specifically details what it's like for our, for our thinking and our affections outside of God's grace. He lays it out in real de- in detail. So today we're going to talk about first the futility of the unregenerate mind. And if you start to feel a little downcast about it, that's, that was Paul's plan. But then at the end, the last two verses, he, he ends us up with some hope, okay? The futility of the unregenerate mind and then the promise of the regenerate mind. There are, he, he calls the situation that they're in futile, uh, empty, hopeless. And so, and in this verse, he lays out uh, six facets of futility, six facets of futility, right in the text. Let's look at these six in order. Uh, hardness. When it comes to spiritual things, the normal state of mankind is like a rock with a fire hydrant on it. In fact, uh, um, outside of my house, I have a concrete uh, uh, driveway. And it was pouring all last night. But I guarantee if you go and look at it now, there'll be no puddles of water. The water has hit the, the concrete and just completely rolled off. And our hearts outside of God are that hard. The, the truth can hit us any number of ways, but we've got no means to, to grasp it and hold on to it. There's a natural and normal hardness of heart. Now, I know this personally because uh, I spent about 23 years outside of Christ. Uh, some of those years I thought I was inside of Christ, all right? But in truth be told, looking back upon that period of time, uh, I knew I hadn't a, a confessed sin and I knew the Holy Spirit hadn't converted me, so I was, I was old. And any time I would hear the gospel message, I'd be like, eh, whatever. It hit me like a rock. And it, it didn't stick. I didn't grow, right? That's what I'm talking about, hardness. That's the natural state of man outside of God. And then there's this darkness, right? First there's hardness, then there's darkness. And, and in darkness, is the situation is, um, I know I'm doing a wrong, but... I kind of like doing wrong, and so I, I, I kind of want to have willful blindness. Right? I, I, I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to bring it out to the light, right? You ever been in that, in that kind of place in your, in your Christian walk? And I'll tell you, this particular uh, darkness is not just for uh, non-Christians. Sometimes Christians can live in this darkness too, where we know what the truth is, but we participate in all kinds of things that we know we oughtn't. Now, we don't tell anybody about it because we don't want to be guilty. We don't want to be full of shame. There's this, there's this darkness that is a part of the, our condition, right? Hardness and darkness. And then the next part is uh, ignorance. And ignorance is a malady that we share even if you're a brilliant PhD here at UW or at my alma mater, Sweden or Illinois. Or you can be brilliant in terms of the quantity of things you know, but not know the end purpose of a thing. Because the scripture tells us that all things, all science, all history, all English, 
all theology, all things were created by God, and all things were created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. So if I don't know the purpose of a thing, and if I think a purpose is uh, within myself as a human being, or there's some other purposes, even though I understand some functions of it, I won't understand the purpose, and therefore I won't know how to use it accurately, properly. So I can have a lot of facts and still be ignorant of the truth. Come on with me. And so we find that state of, uh, in our lives sometimes, and we see that. And so uh, quite often, this is why, this is why, that uh, we have to have a Christian worldview, and we have to be careful with the information that is taught us. Uh, we can be easily misled if we're not careful about knowing our scripture and thinking like Christ to be led astray because we don't have the mind of Christ. There could be some facts, but the, the, the end is not uh, profitable for a Christian. We want to be careful about this. Ignorance. And then there's this uh, a hardness of heart. Darkness, closing my eyes and not wanting anybody to know what I'm doing or not want to be found out. Darkness, uh, ignorance, not really knowing what things are for. Ignorance, that leads me to this state of alienation where I'm separate, separated from God. Um, and the other part of this is it leads me not only to be separated from God, but it leads me to be separated from God's people. You know, one of the things that we've been trying to teach you in Ephesians, as Paul talks a lot about how the body functions best together, each of us have gifts in the church, and we don't come to full maturity unless we love each other and use our gifts in the church, that God's blessings, part of the richness of God, is our togetherness, right? That's why we have to break down the walls of separation, natural cultural barriers, is because there is a sweetness of our fellowship. There's an ability to be productive that comes only when we work well together. And when we're alienated from God's wisdom and knowledge and truth, when we're alienated from that, and when we're alienated from him, not only are we alienated from God, we're alienated from the biggest blessing that we can see that God gives us, which is the local body of Christ. And so there's this alienation that comes when we don't accept the truth. Uh, we can only walk with Jesus when we walk according to his ways. Beyond that, there's an alienation. And we need each other desperately as Christians. We need each other if we're going to grow into the body that we're designed to be and if we're going to accomplish the things that God has uh, desires to accomplish through us. Alienation. And then there's a sensuality. So if I don't accept God's word, if my heart is hard, if I'm blind, and um, if I'm alienated from God, this leads me to find my satisfaction in just about anything else. The, the natural things, the things I can see, the things I can touch, the things I can put my hands on. And when I think about... Uh, my own life prior to Christ. Um, and, and when I think about when my parents weren't there to be the law for me, i.e. to hold me in line during the, 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 the years in their household, when I got outside of the law and when I was able to live in my own freedom, 
uh, I, my heart just naturally was drawn to sensuality, all right? I wanted to watch all the TV that I could, go to all the parties that I could. Uh, st- I started in college dating girls, and that turned uh, licentious very quickly. And this is how the mind operates unrestrained from God. And sometimes it's not total licentiousness that you find one into, total sexual sensuality, but sometimes it's, it's, it's sins of pride and power. Things I want to accomplish in myself might be the thing. It'll be anything in the world separated from God and how he would uh, design for us to use it. Sensuality. And then, of course, that leads me to do just about any manner of evil. Uh, And it's not that in our depravity, it's not in our depravity that we do every sin, but it's that in our depravity we could do just about any sin. And this is why it gets certain things that we do to our bodies, certain ways that we think about unborn life, certain ways that we think about um, folks that are not in our tribe can become really heinous because we can do just about any kind of uncleanness. And we want to watch out for that. Our hearts can go in any number of directions and we can do any kind of evil in our lives. So there's these six areas of futility, hardness, ignorance, darkness, alienation, sensuality, uncleanness. This is not a pretty picture. But here's the good news. God didn't intend for you to live like that. He's got a renewed mindset in store for you. He has a different way, a more prosperous way to live in store for you. He doesn't intend for you to live in a way that's futile, empty, dead end, hopeless. Uh, And to do that, he's got to do a complete change of mind. He's got to come in and you've got to recognize that you are not self-sufficient. You've got to recognize that without him, you're prone to do evil. You need to repent. And you've got to recognize that you need to take uh, into your life his spirit and his power so that a, a, a a, a renovation, a complete renewal takes place in your life, right? But here's the thing. This renewal is not going to just be automatically given to you. Now, the conviction of sin comes by God, but the actual willingness to embrace the change, the actual willingness to admit that you're wrong and God is right, is yours to do. And, 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 and therefore, when, when we make invitations to Christ, you go to a church, and this is kind of a, a dying kind of thing. You can hardly go into a church where there's altar calls anymore right? It's kind of passe in terms of a way of leading people into Christ. But, uh, but there's certain hardness that can set in. And when an opportunity to receive Jesus, when you can tell, when you, your heart has been pricked, you've, you've been um, convicted, the gospel makes sense, you need to jump on that opportunity right away and not wait. When God gives us an opportunity, we want to jump in immediately. But you've got to make that decision. I'm recognizing this uh, in real, um, comes close to home 
with the people that are closest to you that you love and they can't seem to quite glob on to the truth, they can't quite seem to embrace the truth so that it can change their lives. Um, you, you see this kind of resistance. And sometimes you can talk to a person that you're witnessing to and they can tell you, you ask them, is this true? Is this true? Uh, do you understand how this hardness sets in? And the person can say, yes. Well, then are you willing to receive Jesus? And they'll say, no. <laughs> I'll be like, what? Come on. <laughs> so we want you to, we want, uh, if you find yourself in this state, we want to invite you to come in. It's safe inside of Christ. It's good. It's, it's holy. It's uh, being a Christian is the best, most profitable way to live. Not easy, but a blessing to be in the body of Christ. God wants you to have a regenerate mind. There's a promise in that. And here's the promise. Uh, the opposite, uh, uh, God says in these verses, let's take a quick look at these again. In Ephesians 4, verses 20 and 21, he says this. Uh, that, however, that, that dark place is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. Prior to becoming a Christian, one of the ways I knew in my soul when I turned from being unchristian to Christian was uh, prior to really accepting Christ, admitting my sin, and having the Holy Spirit change me about age 23, 24, was that when I would try to read the scripture, I couldn't understand it. And when I would go into church and hear sermons, they didn't make any sense. It had no impact on me. Um, I had to repent and receive. And then the, the, the light-changing experience was that I was able to hear and understand. And when I talk to some other people, they don't have quite the same experience that I had when I literally when I came to Christ driving in my car, I literally could tell the difference immediately. Uh, some of the staff was at the Global Leadership Conference where uh, Pastor Rochelle, who pastors, who pastors a church in, uh, in, uh, in Oklahoma, I can't think of the name of the church, City, uh, uh, TV, Life TV Church. He's the head of the Global Leadership Network. He talks about b being a student in college, being the president of the fraternity. Uh, going to a Bible study without a Bible. He was on campus in, in one of the Gideons. He prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, this was his first prayer. He said, Lord, I, I got no Bible. So while, as he was working, a campus minister from Gideons was walking by while he was going to his first Bible study and gave him a New Testament Bible. He said, oh my God, that's the Lord, that's God. So he went to the study. He went to the study, true story, went to the study, um, and uh, it, it didn't quite grasp the, 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 what the, the scripture, the point of the lesson, but afterwards he fell on his knees. He said, Lord, if you're real, if you're real man, help change my life. Help me understand this. So he goes out into a field, admits his sin, receives Jesus, and his testimony is the first thing that happened was that the next Bible study, he could actually understand what the scripture was saying. He could hear and he could understand. That is, a, that is one of the hallmarks of being a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, and your ability to discern the scripture, and for it to make sense in your life is, is not there, 
I think you should legitimately question whether you are, because it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to know and receive his word. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when you can hear and understand when God's truth makes sense, you become a new person. And then the second thing that happens is um, you become a lifelong learner. I kind of like this image that's before you. It has kind of this uh, kind of facade of Jesus and all kinds of people following him. That's kind of like the church. Women and men uh, of all nationalities, all together following Jesus. And one of the things that is so important about following Jesus to know is that it, it requires a lifelong commitment, that you must become a lifelong learner. Now, the cool part about that is, in our society where, where technology is changing the way we live and how we do business, how we operate in our, in our personal lives so much, this notion of having to stay up on things, I think, is more, uh, is more common notion, that you have to be a lifelong learner to function. But in Christ, there's always something new and interesting that you must learn. And so the Lloyd at 54 has got to know more about God's goodness and more about maturity than the Lord at 24. And the the Lord at 74, if the Lord gives me 74, is going to have to be wiser and more effective in how he lives than the Lord Lord right now. I've I've got to become a lifelong learner. And I want to kind of give you some applications for, um, for this. When in our Sunday planning, we were talking about, man, if I am a Christian, if I am new, if I can hear and understand the gospel, if I'm made a disciple, uh, how is it that sometimes I can find myself struggling in my Christian life? What, why, why is it that it can be so difficult to stay focused and stay consistent in the Christian life? And I want to give you, I think, four things that might be helpful to you, that would be helpful to you. Four things. Um, Romans uh, 12 and 1 says, uh, Paul says this, he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourselves, uh, uh, what is it, to present yourselves, and somebody just said it to me, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And um, it's so important that I'm going to take my time and get it. Uh, Groeschel said, whenever you have an issue and you forget where you're going, he says, just repeat what you said last until you can get to your notes. Amen? <laughs> L- literally, literally. So I'm just applying some knowledge that I got from Groeschel this, this, this past week. He said, just, just repeat what you said before until you get to your notes. Uh, Romans 12 and 1 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, God is saying that in order for us to grow in him, we've got to be like all in. I must have learned a lot from, uh, from Pastor Groeschel this past weekend. He talked about being all in. 
Uh, his church had grown real rapidly for 11 years, and then it stopped growing. And uh, he was starting to struggle with his leadership team. And he came to the GLS conference and heard some speakers, and uh, he, heard the, he heard God said to him, he said, um, I still called you. Uh, get up and, and fix the situation. And in his case, he had a couple of issues. One, he was becoming a little too hard in his leadership, a little too harsh. And two, his leadership team was becoming too obstinate. So he went all in. He went to him and said, listen, I know I've got to make some changes in how I lead. And then he said to him something real tough. He's like, now listen now, I started this church without you guys. He's talking to his leadership team. And I probably can keep going without you too, right? Now, I don't want to keep going without you, but if that's how it has to be, and he said that something broke in the room and everyone just cried, right? And after that honest confrontation, they all jumped in again. They all pledged humility and they went up and the church has just gone gangbusters. It's probably the, the largest church in America, uh, Life TV church in Oklahoma City, probably the largest church. It's required for us to go all in in order for us to become the people that we want to be in Christ Jesus, the people that God wants us to be in Christ Jesus. I bet if I really took a survey and you were really honest about whether you were all in in your Christian faith or not, I don't think the numbers would be as high as they ought to be. I think most Christians know that they're supposed to die to themselves and follow Jesus. They know they're supposed to pick up their cross and follow him. But a lot of times we're like, no, I don't. I think I want to live a little more in this area, right? And if we're one of the reasons we would struggle in our sanctification, one of the reasons we would struggle and have the old mindedness is when we don't, when we still are holding back something from God. God doesn't want us to hold back. He wants us to trust him all the way. Amen? God wants you to trust him all the way. God wants me to trust him all the way. God wants you to identify the areas in your life where you haven't fully given it over to him and give it over to him. Amen? It's quiet in the room. And that's probably because there's some conviction in the room. Uh, be all in. Focus on the moment in hand. Uh, there's a verse in the book of James where it says, don't say to yourselves, uh, today or tomorrow we will buy and sell, and then, and then tomorrow we'll make a profit. He says, you don't even know whether you'll have tomorrow. Some of the things, the changes we need to make in our lives, we tell ourselves a lie. And the lie is, I'll get to it later. I can get to it tomorrow, it's not that bad, I can fix it later. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to trust him enough to deal with our stuff now, today, immediately, right? Um, oh man, there's so many areas in my life where there's a, there's a now-ism that has, to, that has to stay focused on. Um, and all, honestly, like my health is a now-ism. I got to focus on eating right and exercising like now. I can't do it tomorrow or next year. 
I got to do it now. There's some things in, in our lives that we can't put off till tomorrow. There's some broken relationships that we have, some apologies that need to be made, some things that we need to make changes in our lives that need to happen now and not tomorrow. Focus on the moment at hand. Um, one of the, the key things about, uh, how, how many of you would go to work uh, if the only time you would go is when you felt like it? Raise your hand. <laughs> you, would, you would go, right? And so in our own Christian life, when it comes to obeying Christ, we have to obey him when we feel like it and, and when we don't in order for us to get the growth that we need. We've, we've got to discipline ourselves to do the right thing at the right time. And lastly, what I want to say is uh, we have to obey Christ when we don't fully understand it. Um, an example of this. Obeying Christ when I don't fully understand it. I have a thing and I just don't know if I want to share it with you. The hardest area for me to obey Christ when I don't fully understand it is when I have loved ones who are close to me that are really struggling and I feel like they know better or ought to know better and to hang in there with them with patience and perseverance. That's like one of the hardest things for me to do. Because uh, in my mind, I don't understand, you know, why certain things, they're doing certain things that are hurting them. I, um, I ought to, if I was honest and not hypocritical, <laughs> I ought to understand through my own struggle. But that's one of the hardest things for me to do is to understand how God loves us when we're so unlovable when we fail time and time again, and God expects us to extend that same grace to each other time and time again, um, that's one of the most difficult things for me to do. That's still, for me, a work in progress, quite honest with you. Train yourself to follow when you don't fully understand. Why Jesus is the best teacher? Why should anybody give their lives to Jesus? Well, who knows anything more than the creator and sustainer of the universe? He knows everything. He is the most dynamic teacher anyone could ever have. He's the only teacher who will be with you forever, right? I grew up in my parents' household. I had great Catholic education, great education at the University of Illinois, many teachers and mentors. The only one who's been with me through everything is the Lord Jesus Christ. Even prior to knowing him, I can look back over my years and see how God has been teaching me and training me. And I see him teaching and training me patiently now. He's the only one who can, who's with you at all times and, and every time. Um, he actually empowers you to learn. I talked about that earlier that via the Holy Spirit is how you have the ability to, to understand spiritual things. You wouldn't understand any spiritual things without the power of the Holy Spirit. And he loves you unconditionally. Whatever crap you do, 
whatever crap you've done, whatever stuff you're going to do in the future, you, 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 you're, uh, even Christians have an unusually high divorce rate. I think the last statistics would suggest that, it, that well, for those who really believe in their Bibles and so forth, maybe 25%. For those who just have a public profession, maybe as many as 50%. The point is, is that even Christians are not um, beyond uh, abandoning you and aren't as faithful to you as God is. God loves you unconditionally in season and out of season. You can depend on him completely and totally. Uh, he knows how to train you. He knows when you need more discipline and when you need a break. He understands that. And I talked about he is so long-suffering. Jesus is the most dynamic teacher. You ought to, we, we, we as Christians ought to desire for him to be our leader, that we, would, we should recognize that we thrive with Jesus as our leader. Christ wants you to change your mind. And it's a total change that he's asking for, not just a cleaning up on the margins. Um, he wants all of our self-centeredness to be laid aside. He wants us to be, to love him and love others uh, in, in perfect, perfect ways. He wants us to be free of all impurities and all sins, um, both of the mind and of the body. And he has a perfect peace in store for us. In order for us to have our, everything he intends, we have to really change our mind, the way we've been thinking, to the way he wants us to be. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask, um, as you look down upon your people today, we ask that you actually look at our imperfections and uh, convict us to look at them carefully too, to be serious about changing, um, that we can be whole, that we can be um, more productive that we can be more at peace, that we can extend your love to the world. Um, there's so much, Father, that you have in store for us to do and to be that depends on us changing our mindset. Um, but Father, we recognize that changing our mind isn't automatic and it's not even a one-time deal. That we've got to renew our minds daily and so we come to church and sing songs and listen to sermons and we read our Bibles and we meditate and we pray and we talk to our best friends and we let our friends um, discipline us and encourage us to change and to grow. Father, we, we want you to continue to do that in our lives. Uh, we we want to take, put off old dead thinking and put on Christ. We want to be your pupils, your students. And we want to follow you for the whole distance. In Christ's name we pray, amen.